This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Breaking Labels. I am so excited for you to hear from my friend Malcolm Godwin today. He has a very unique story and I think a very inspiring one. Before I get into it, I did want to let you know or actually remind you if you listen to last week's episode that our sponsor and partner for this episode is True spelled T-R-U supplements. If you go to the link in our show notes to their website and use the promo code breaking labels all one word you will get five percent off your order now they do all vegan protein and supplements you might be wondering well it's funny i didn't know rosanna was vegan if you didn't know you still don't know because i'm not vegan at all but a little while ago i did a vegan challenge and in the midst of that challenge i realized that huh i prefer the texture of vegan protein to whey protein. And then it was kind of like once I went to vegan, I couldn't go back to whey. The only problem, however, was that most whey proteins have way more fun flavors than vegan proteins tend to. Not to mention there is a tendency for some vegan proteins to be super, super chalky and just have crappy flavor like they have all these great nutrients but they taste like poo and I don't want to taste I don't want to drink it if it doesn't taste good but this brand true supplements has a whole dessert series that I love super obsessed with the banana maple muffin also love the peanut butter banana not sure what my thing is with banana lately but their flavors are delicious so go check out their website the link to it is in the show notes And again, the promo code for 5% off is Breaking Labels because your favorite podcast has our own promo code, people. How awesome is that? So let's get into this interview with Malcolm. I just want to, as a friendly reminder, if you listen to this and know somebody that you think would really appreciate Malcolm's story or would be really inspired by it, please share it. Sharing is caring, people. So share the episode. Let your friends know about the podcast in general. And if you really love it, then please, by all means, write a review. But regardless, thank you so much for listening and for your support. All right, here goes. You have to mentally approach every day like it is what you want, right? A lot of people is just sitting waiting for that thing to happen. Like, oh, maybe the opportunity will present itself. And many times you just gotta you gotta make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I think in the in the effort or in the process of trying to make it happen, things will happen. Like yep. my my one of my bosses used to always say, "Luck comes to people who are pursuing it." Yep. Like it's Absolutely. not an accident. It's because mm-hmm. you keep showing up, and then things mm-hmm. are quote unquote lucky. But it's because you put yourself in a position to receive it. Oh yeah, not, I think ninety percent of success is showing up. Mm-hmm. It, it really is like a lot of people have I know there's people with uh, crap more talent and way smarter and like all those things 
more than me. They just didn't show up. Mm-hmm. Right. They just didn't think X, Y, Z was possible. So they were like, ah, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's part of it. That's honestly, and not to plug my own podcast, but I'm gonna, that's what this is for. It's like, hopefully these conversations are going to make people think, well, shoot, if they can do it, and right. if they have the audacity to believe they can, why can't I? Right. Right. I, I feel like that, that should definitely happen more. I just think it's a lot of people out there that don't shoot high enough. And I was telling somebody that like that came to my office the other day and I, I don't know how we got on the topic. And I said, well, what are your goals? And he said, well, I, and then he says, I don't have any goals, really. And I said, no, you almost said what your goals were. You're just so afraid of them that you, you say you don't have any. Ooh. Right? And, and that's what it is. Like, people have goals. They just think that goal is so far unattainable that they would rather say they don't have one. Mm-hmm. You know? And I was so like, sad. no. Like, if you feel like some people feel they'll be judged by saying X, Y, Z. Some people feel like they'll be judged if they say, if you ask somebody what they want to be and they really want to say, man, I want to be president of the United States one day, but they feel like people are just going to laugh at it. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not going to say it. They'll just say they don't have a goal. I am very, very curious. And there's a reason I did not ask you what you were going to use as your label or what you were going to say your label is. So I'm very curious what your label is that you are breaking, have broken, want to talk about so you wanted to be succinct and it's really uh, <laughs> it's really hard it's really really hard right um because when someone at so when someone sees where i'm from mm-hmm. right um there's multiple labels that can come from that right mm-hmm. um you can see one part where you say oh you know he's, he's a country hick mm-hmm. right and then you see the other stuff and we're like, oh, this is hood stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like very seldom do you find, um, and, and I find this all the time as a prosecutor, where very seldom do you find people who went to law school, but who's also seen druggies test crap, right? Mm-hmm. Test the product, been in the trap house, seen the drugs, counted for drug, you know, those type of things. It's a, it's a it's a big gap between the two worlds, right? Um, when I first started at Flagler, was the first time that I truly started getting hit with labels, um, mm. because because before that I went uh, to a small school, right? And at my school, you start at pre-K and you go up through twelfth grade, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of around kindergarten they start isolating the kids that they find to be somewhat uh, smart, mm-hmm. right? Um, especially at small schools. And whoever those kids are, they stay that way all the way through school. Right. You right? are, it's decided at that young age and it just is what it is for the rest of your school. Exactly. So they knew me, cause, uh, you know, the, the principal of the school and the pre-K teacher, it's all in one area, right? It's 550 mm-hmm. kids <clears throat> pre-K through 12. Mm-hmm. So they knew me at four and five and they said, oh, that kid's smart. Malcolm's smart. Right. Mm-hmm. So we put him in the gifted class or we give him these extra class, you know, those type of things. So as I grew up and as I got bigger and essentially blacker and, <laughs> <laughs> and grew out dreadlocks uh-huh. and, you know, 
all these things, they had just saw it. Like they saw it day by day. You didn't this come was, in with that. You, you, you evolved into that in front of them. Right, right. So to them, it's still kindergarten, first Malcolm. grade, second grade Malcolm. Mm -hmm. If they saw, this is, you know, that's that uh, cognitive uh, dissonance. You know, if they saw another black kid very similar to me, they probably would have gave him a label, mm -hmm. right? But they knew me from kindergarten, right? right. Um, and so my grades still say, say as A's. And fifth grade, the grades still say A's. And eighth grade, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. everything stays the same, except my outer appearance looks different. Right. Um, they're used to how I talk, right? Mm -hmm. Because I've always talked like that. This is the Breaking Labels podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it, because we were meant for so much more. Right? So it goes through life, and that's nothing. That's nothing. But then for the first time ever, I go to a college where, you know, people did not know me. Mm -hmm. Then from the, that exterior um, appearance of mm -hmm. the dreadlocks and like, like, you know, I have other friends that are tiny individuals, <laughs> right? Nice. <laughs> Ew, I don't know why you have such tiny friends. Oh, no, either, man. But it's, I got to say, it's, you have tiny friends. Like, I have always had ridiculously tall friends. And it was like, right? do you have a Napoleon syndrome? Like, why do I always want to look up to all of my friends? Right. It's why? So true. It's so true. But you do. You do. You're, you're friends. There's, side note, they're still the same size. I know. Uh, I've seen. And I'm like, dang, y'all still can't put yeah. on some meat? Okay. Uh, say, Sam by the way, is uh, trying to gain three pounds to 155 or something, right? Like, that's what he's, that's what he's attempting to do right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he just told me on the phone, right? Because um, I had posted on Instagram earlier that uh, I hit 50 pounds lost, right? Ooh. Right? And he was like, he was like, you know, what, what's your goal? I said, you know what? I didn't really think about it, but it's probably to get, you know, to, to freshman weight. Right. Mm -hmm. He said, you know what? I meant to talk to you about that. He was like, every time I run into somebody, they're always telling me like, man, I wish I could get back to my college weight. And he was like, I am my college weight. <laughs> 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 He's like, I didn't know that wasn't odd. I was like, yep. Yeah, pretty odd. Mm -hmm. I love, he's like, but I've always been my fabulous college weight. I would actually like right. to be bigger than my weight. I, I don't understand how they do it, you know? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so, you know, that's more appealable to people. But I, I came in at 205 to flag, right? I was 205, mm -hmm. 5'10". So when people saw me, even, even my first English teacher, stuff like that, they had a particular label for me, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that label included things that probably aren't so nice. Uh, that's why I, I leave it up to people, because some people felt thug. Some people, <laughs> some people felt affirmative action. Some people <laughs> felt. <laughs> How many people assumed that you played for the teams, for the basketball oh team? Oh, my God. Until I got fat, everyone. <laughs> right? Right? Like, when I was fit, when I was just coming from high school and I was fit, oh, my God. Oh, you, you playing on a team? You're right. Nah. Nah. See, man, just... By junior year, I got fat, so it was good. You know, nobody assumed I played on any team. <laughs> 
if, they, if, if it had been a football team, then they would have threw it back out there. But right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank we only had basketball, you know. So once I got a little big, they were like, oh, well, clearly he's not playing any sport. I was like, all right. Um, Which, can we just pause for a second? Because we say to yeah. Jess because we know, but it's funny to me how many people don't realize the fact that they assume when they see a large black man in college that he must play a sport. Oh, yeah. And that I he is probably there because he plays a sport, not because he has the same academic prowess as any other person there, but it's because you play a sport. Yep. And, yep. and I don't think some people realize that you may not realize it, but that actually could be a smidge of offensive to assume <laughs> that I'm not here for the exact same reason as you. But you know, I took it differently when I went to Wake Forest, though, right? Because they had a football mm. team. And then when people thought I played on a football team, I was like, oh, okay. am I fit? Am I fit now? Am I back? <laughs> Let me there's look levels, in the mirror. There's levels to this, right? Like, it's right. okay to be assumed that you play for Wake Forest football team or any team Bingo. for Wake Forest. <laughs> exactly. I was all about it, dude. I, I had my Wake Forest football jersey on my shirt. It was like, oh, practice squad. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Well, listen, and this is, I mean, not the same, but sort of like, I always joke about people assuming I'm Hispanic. You know what? I remember thinking that you were Hispanic for, what, oh, almost a year? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it wasn't until it was Thanksgiving, and you showed me a picture of your parents. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and I said... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, which one is Hispanic? And you're like, really? <laughs> like, I'm this showing you the picture of my black mother, and you're still like, she must be Hispanic because you're right. so Hispanic looking. <laughs> I mean, she's not talking in the picture, so I assume, you know? Like, I was like, huh. It could be Rick. It could be, but. <laughs> it was so tough. It was so, so tough to ask the question. I was like, so, which one's Hispanic? <laughs> <laughs> and I well. think it's funny because people think it's so offensive. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm not offended. I know what I look like. Like, <laughs> right? I am well aware. Dad had to teach me how to say no hablo espanol when I was six. Like, I get it. <laughs> I am not offended whatsoever. <laughs> right. I don't like when you assume I don't speak English, but I'm not offended by the Hispanic thing. I, okay. I thought about I thought about Rick yesterday watching oh, uh, watching the Lions, Lions play. I was like, oh man! <laughs> Mom called me and left a voicemail. I'm leaving this in the podcast because people need to understand that my entire childhood's Thanksgivings have been ruined by those daggum Detroit Lions you know losing. You know they're four and sixteen in the last twenty years That's on Thanksgiving Day. I mean, it's awful. And I gotta I will say I respect my dad's commitment. But right. sometimes I'm like, why do you want to be angry every Thanksgiving? And like That's our Thanksgivings, I thought everybody waited to eat Thanksgiving dinner after the lines lost. <laughs> I didn't know there was another option because mom at least figured, well, if he's going to be angry because the lions lost, at least he can have a really good meal waiting for him. Right, right. <laughs> and we let him have some cool and off time where we don't talk. We just let him eat for a little bit while he like calms down yeah, yeah. and I just want to I'm like you know my dream is to take him to a Detroit Lions game for Thanksgiving because it's also right around his birthday but mm -hmm. on the other hand I'm like but then he's gonna be hype and angry in person like I don't know <laughs> what he's gonna do I don't is he gonna oh, like my, rush the field is he gonna go after the coach because he hates the coach or the manager I don't know but he hates one just, of them just wait just wait till they're good and then take it 
that might never happen. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Oh, that'd be dope. <laughs> yeah, Rick and the, the Detroit Lions. I appreciate yeah. that you remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So you're in Flagler. Yep. You're around people who have never met you before. Yep. They just see yep. a 5'10 black man with dreads. Yep. And it, it, that's when it first started happening, right? Mm-hmm. And so first, I, you know, my first couple freshman classes, and me and Sam were in the same classes at the time, right? Uh, before, because he, he actually came from um, a junior college. So other than that first, those first couple classes, we weren't going to be taking the same classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were taking the same classes. We would always get the highest scores in the class, right? And it was a pretty cool thing. But then... I started hearing, I don't know, like whispers, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the other kids in the back, well, how does he get a 95? Like, oh. okay, what do you mean he? Right? And keep in mind, I came from a I came from a school where I was always the smart kid. Mm-hmm. Right? I and everybody the, knew it. Right. So me, but no matter what grade I got, it was like, oh, of course, right? Oh, mm-hmm. oh of course. And it wasn't until I realized that's not how it is outside of this bubble that you've been living in. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, they saw me and they saw someone that could possibly, Oh, maybe he'll be the class clown. Maybe he'll just chill in the back. Maybe he'll get a C or a B and, and, and that would be good. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by me doing that in, in that first class and then being like, well, how does he do that? And, and, and it kept happening where somebody would be like, you did that or mm. you got that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, wait, this is uh this is a thing right okay and so then sam and i were always together and one of the teachers of the program that i was in um told another teacher who eventually told me Mm -hmm. she (laughs) said that the lady said oh my gosh sam is starting to dress like malcolm i was like oh i didn't know that my type of dress was something to look down upon right right i only ever um, remember you just wearing comfy like you wore like shirts and sweats or pants like i didn't think you had it no offense i didn't think you had a style i just thought you wore what was comfortable don't tell nobody that now i'm <laughs> <laughs> i have true style now <laughs> okay okay my bad my bad there was a time before i realized what j crew was okay I, I just, became more I was just baffled, and I'm sorry if that that could also be offensive. That I didn't. Well, yeah, I just said I didn't think you had style, but <laughs> I just didn't think. Right. I just it never occurred to me that there was anything unique about the way you dressed. That right, it would be right. something like you said that there was something wrong with somebody dressing like you. Exactly, but uh, what I started realizing, it, and it was a, it was an education outside of class, right? Most mm-hmm. of my education, especially in undergrad, came outside of class. Understanding how people would look at me is not how they looked at me at that small school, right? Um, and so then I started realizing, oh, wait, I have a label of, you know, the hood dude, the mm-hmm. thug guy, the, you know what I mean? I was like, whoa, 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 no, no, that, that, that was my cousin, right? Like, he, <laughs> he went to jail, I went to college, no? It, no. We're the same. Oh, because <laughs> of my dreads, we are the same. Right. <laughs> Pretty much. 
and, and that's when I started realizing the, the thin line between, because even when I was younger, right, and um, I, my, some of my teachers at my smaller school would separate the two, right? They could because they saw us all grow up, right? Mm -hmm. um, but once I got to Flagler, there really wasn't a separation of how someone would look at the kid who spent a lot of time in juvenile detention and me, right? Mm -hmm. It is the same thing. Um, and so I think I had to gain somewhat of an education when it came to um, even how I looked at my own Black people. Oh. Right. right? Um, and and I, I can definitely tell that difference in the first couple of years of me being at Flagler and how my mind changed because I realized too many people, these degrees ain't going to mean nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and, and, and as I advanced in life, it really doesn't matter. Like I left, um, I left Wake in 2014. I got a job here and keep in mind, I'm in a full suit. Mm -hmm. Right. And I would go to court and I would sometimes have to convince the, the deputies that was in the courtroom that no, I'm not the defendant. <laughs> right. Like I am the prosecutor. Times. Right. Right. Like multiple times in which I had to be like, no, 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 I sit over here. Or they're like, well, we'll call your case later. No, ma'am, I'm calling the case. I'm up there. Like, I, it was a struggle. And, I, and some people didn't realize it until they came to court with me. Mm -hmm. And and like one time I was sitting at the prosecutor table because I was watching someone else uh, do something I had never done before. And he was an older guy, older white guy. And I'm sitting at the table with him. And this lady comes up and she was like, oh, the defendant said on the left here. And he was so shocked that he couldn't speak, right? And so he just looks over at me and he was like, oh my God, you, you've never made these up. This happens all the time. And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah. it happens all the time, right? Um, I, I think it's just that preconceived notion that people have when they see a black guy with dreads, you know, of what that entails. Where and do you think that it. comes from? Is it from, I don't want to jump on the band. Is it media? Is it movies? Is it TV? Like, where do you think those preconceived notions have come from? So, and I think it's a lot. I think it's really deep, right? Because even when you look at, um, we could say media, but a lot of times the media is a reflection of what we want to see. Mm-hmm. You get what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. The news looks at what we Google and then they put that on TV. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, for the longest of time, uh, you know, you had the, the war on drugs. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you had that war on drugs, what happened? They they kept showing us pictures of them kicking in doors in, in uh, Compton. Right. And what mm -hmm. did those people look like that they were doing that to? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you see that on TV over and over. And so then that, that turns into movies that relate to that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think people get confused between culture and characteristics, right? My, mm -hmm. my culture includes, you know, dreads. My culture may include certain words that you don't say, right? Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily my characteristics. Ooh, that's it, You know what I mean? I've never um, heard it honed down to that, but that is, yes, 100% right. yeah, true. You know, it, it, like, I get so annoyed with, yes, my own older uh, 
black individuals, like the the, the grandparents of the mm-hmm. group, right? Because I, I just saw it on on Facebook yesterday or the day before where they were like, I saw a kid in the grocery store yesterday and his pants was off his butt. And I was like, when will these kids learn? I was like, look, we're not getting shot and killed by police because our pants are up. Mm-hmm. Okay. I could have a button up shirt. I could be, you know, holding mm-hmm. a Bible in my hand or a, or a toy like some kids mm-hmm. and I can still get killed. Right. Um, I always say, let the kids live however they're going to live at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. And I always, cause they're like, they're never going to get a job like that. Oh, really? <laughs> you want to show my pictures and where I'm at? Right. Mm-hmm. Like there is like, Oh, and can we, okay. So let's take a second. Can we, yes. can we talk about that? Because I know this, but I want right. the people listening to know who Malcolm Godwin is. Where do you work? What do you like? Tell me in a like, little like real what is your story oh okay um so i went to uh wake forest law uh, mm-hmm. from 2011 to 2014 since then um i have worked at the uh, prosecutor's office in fort myers florida as an attorney for about six years now mm-hmm. uh I, uh many times in my life where you know even now like i can go to a football game mm-hmm. right and i'm not dressed in a full suit if I got a hoodie on, right, mm-hmm. and I'm just walking by, there are individuals and, you know, officers are, that are people that I, I chum it up with that don't necessarily know how to process me not in a suit, right? Mm-hmm. And so they'll look over and they'll see me and they don't know, should they, like, should they be on guard? Should, like, how do they recognize me, right? Mm-hmm. They, they process that they know me in some way, but they don't know it's because of criminally or <laughs> <laughs> through work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just see this black man with dreadlocks that's walking by, right? Um, and so, yeah, those, those conceived notions, I, I think a lot of times can be a little bit of media, mm-hmm. right? But it, it's not, I, I, I always say, it's not the media's necessary fault. It's the media giving you a show or a TV show or something, and you've never been exposed to any other black people. Mm-hmm. Right. If you go to a school and a perfect example, my wife went to a school where she probably had three black people at the entire school. Mm -hmm. Right. Her inclination of what black people are, who they are, how they can be, how they are not monolithic. Right. Mm -hmm. She she didn't have any concept of that. Right. Was she Michigan? Midwest. Right. Yeah. Southern Indiana. Okay. So it's that thing where if it's it's um when they were talking about brown versus uh topeka mm-hmm. and they were they were talking about separate but equal mm-hmm. and in the opinion it says separate in itself is unequal oh can we pause real one second because right. you are coming to this from a legal i want people to know that you are not talking about michael brown you are talking about correct. a legal case correct correct brown versus board of education right? there you go um so basically uh, the argument was, hey, we can keep the black kids separate from the white kids as long as everything is equal, as long as they have the same books, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the opinion, the judge, the Supreme Court in that case said, you know, separate in itself is, un- is unequal, mm-hmm. right? And a part of that is it's unequal for both whites and blacks a little bit because yeah. whites don't get that diversity either, right. right? Now you get that concept of you think that all black people are like X, Y, Z. 
me, my friend Wayne and my friend James were just having a conversation about this because um, my friend James was talking to an individual who texted him and said, I love how you are so uh, sweet and funny with me. Um, and I know you probably don't show that any other place, right? And it's because this girl hasn't been around many Black people, oh. right? So she doesn't understand. That's how we all are, right? We're all goofy as hell, right? Like, you've been around us. You know that there yeah. is no... <laughs> like, you, you, right? don't, you don't reserve that for these very, very <laughs> tiny moments. Right. Once and in a know, great while. And this chick thinks that she's very special because she's brought this out of him. No, right. We're not monolithic. And, no. and that's the thing that if you only get to see media, mm -hmm. right, then yes, that will be your idea. But I, I don't even think we can use that excuse anymore because honestly, when you look at media today, I I feel there is a whole lot of companies making a concerted effort to diversify how you look at Black people, mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't know. One of my personal favorite movies is Moonlight. Like I haven't seen that. Oh, my God. It is, it is so is it, good. Is Childish Gambino in that? No. No, 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 no. Um, it is oh, I'm thinking Mahershala, of a different one. Mahershala Ali, I think. Yeah, Mahershala Ali is in it. And it's just, it's just a movie that breaks so many stereotypes. Okay, I gotta watch that because I the, love the those. Oh yeah, where yeah. it just turns everything on the side. Oh yeah, like oh I'm watching that this weekend. From the beginning, you're like, huh, this movie is nothing like I've ever seen before. Okay, um, and I, I love that. I love the the new type of movies that are coming out. I love mm -hmm. when I see, I love when I see like the young black kids and they're artsy as hell. Yeah, right. Because right? there's so many. Oh my God! Right? It just needs to be shown. Yes, they're just RC and they want to do this and they want to skateboard and they want like there was a time where that that road right that mm -hmm. that uh, you have to play basketball and mm -hmm. you have to listen to this and you have to be like this right. Mm -hmm. um, if you are not, then you are white, right? Yep. Like that's, that's oh yeah, that's that was my favorite growing up. That you act white, you're acting white, right? I'm sorry, I'm articulate. Artic articulation right. is only for the whites. <laughs> like, do we not see what that's saying about ourselves, culture, everything? Also, giving a lot of credit to people. I know some very ignorant white people. Do you? I mean, like, I don't, I don't feel like me speaking certain way is acting white. Because where right. I'm from, there's some very ignorant country white people. Just and like I, there's I some very ignorant country right. black people. Like, yes. Like I always say the whole the whole joke about like fried chicken. I was like, look, man, I come from a place where all the white people can cook fried chicken too, right? Like right. I'm from the South South, right? Like don't nobody leave without its cornbreads and collard greens where I'm from. But I don't care what color you are, you know. Now, you know, the potato salad may be a little different, I agree, you know, but um for the most part, southern is southern. Yes. Right? Um it just comes off differently to people when it's black southern. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, going back to Flagler, I just kept having that hit against me all the time. You know, I think you were there when I became a uh, a top officer at a certain club. Oh, oh I'd forgotten about. Yeah, that. yeah. And my my look wasn't what that person wanted, mm -hmm. despite the fact of everything else being there. Despite the fact that everyone said we want this person. Mm -hmm. I didn't fit a mold for mm -hmm. her, right? 
Like, if, if you are going to be this Black guy, you got to look Obama. Mm-hmm. Right? There, and, and I tell people that all the time. I said, look, Obama's one of my favorite human beings that I, I put, you know, in an arc, mm-hmm. right? But I'm also very aware that he was more palatable to white people, mm-hmm. right? He, you know, he had a low haircut. He was kind of fair-skinned, right? He, mm-hmm. he spoke how they kind of wanted to speak, right? He gave them things, and he's very aware of the things that he had to give them. Oh, um, I, I thought, oh absolutely. I yeah, yeah. I saw an interview where he just, he just talked about that. And it, it is very much a thing where, like, he may be one of, one of the idols I put in that group. I'm aware I'm nothing like him. Mm-hmm. Right, like just appearance-wise alone. Okay. I, I, no, no, I, I don't mean you know because you know everything else. I'd be like, I got. It. Right. You know okay. I was about to say, there's the ma- there's the, the Malcolm Ego <laughs> no, I know. I was about to say, no, hold no, on no, now. No, 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 no. no. Okay. I, I got all I got all the baggage, right? But um, <laughs> I mean, from a physical standpoint, <laughs> um, I'm not I'm I'm not the individual that you can just accept. My blackness is probably going to hit you a lot. Mm. right and if you're not okay with blackness if you need that palatable middle ground i'm aware i'm not that mm-hmm. right um and, and and i think flagler was the first time in which i was aware that this was a thing mm-hmm. um i it was it was great that i had some teachers there that was aware of the transition and embraced it right because mm. there was a lot there was a lot who didn't um, and so I, I think everyone needs that. I think everyone needs uh, those people in their life, despite the fact of how much they help you along, right? Uh, people that just accept you for how you are, mm. right? Um, and, and I think that's what, that's what caused my transition. Because for a little bit, I thought, oh, because I'm being rejected for being this, I have to uh, kind of water it down, mm. right? I have to back it up. I have to, you know, you know what I mean? I have to be more calmer. I have to not use the words that I grew up using, mm-hmm. right? Um, all those things is what I did for a period of time. Uh, and then I think that next transition happened where I realized that being unapologetically Black is a thing, mm-hmm. right? Again, in 2006 to 2010, media didn't show a lot of people being unapologetically black, right? That whole, the, the movement we have now of people being like, no, why would you perm your hair? Mm. Stay natural, mm-hmm. right? No, why would you cut your hair? You know, you know those type of things. Can oh, we talk oh for a second about like the conversations that people don't understand happen in black households or in my <laughs> case, in mixed households? Like, right. and I know yes. that I'm going to say this and I hope that nobody comes from my mom for this because you got to understand, like when I told my boyfriend who's white that, my mom was so concerned about how pointed my nose was when I was a kid because for her, she knew white people are going to accept you more if you have more pointed features. Mm -hmm. And I think when people talk about like race and like, Oh, you know, maybe blacks are super sensitive. It's like, yeah, but you don't understand the conversations we've had to have or that my mom was concerned of whether or not my skin was fair enough for me to pass. So I would, I would not have to deal with some of the things that she did. Oh man. Oh, and it's it's like, do you, do you worry about that with your child? Do you do you old, look at man, your child and wonder, podcast. huh? Like, that's and a, even the hair. Yeah. Like when I went through puberty and my hair turned all kinds of textures, and I remember <laughs> the look on my mom's face, like we gotta perm this. We're like we we're gonna use some chemicals because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you are not you can't have. 
too ethnic a hair because you won't mm -hmm. be accepted by whites. That's the fear. And I, I'm telling you, when you look at your parents and parents' parents, that was always the fear, right? Because mm -hmm. they, wanted the, they wanted the best for us. And the best for us was for us to be able to somewhat blend in. Yep. Right? And, and when you talk to older Black people, and even though they get on my nerves about it, I, get, I, I know where they're coming from, right? That it was fear from a perspective of survival. Absolutely. Like every product every product was based on being more white the perms were more straight hair the mm -hmm. they had the skin treatment to make you lighter yeah. like I, I mean there was so much there was there were so many things that that were like hey how can you become more this and i remember i took a class um at wake uh, with this lady uh, her, her last name was or i know it was miss curry and miss curry was about that life An older black lady dreads um, oh. lawyer scholar right and and like she just it, she captivated me just by who she was right mm -hmm. and she taught me a lot about like the concept of whitewashing right like you yes. feel like you have to do these things to fit in when you go out in the world and she changed my whole perspective because it was coming close to the year where I would graduate right and so I was like okay I, I gotta I gotta cut my dreads off right and I gotta, you know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking of all these things that I have to do. And when I, I had that class with Miss Curry and she's saying that, and it hit me, I was like, look, man, if I do that, right? If I do all these things, then when some kid one day puts me in that, that pantheon, right? Of like, oh, I wanna be like him, but I don't look anything like him, mm. right? He doesn't sound anything like me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I went through life without pretty much a model, right, of what, I, what path I could take. And I hope, and that, that's why it's so important for me now, specifically, to stay so me. Mm -hmm. um, it's because I, I know there's going to be one day where there are kids out there that are looking for that, I can be like, that I can take this path. Mm -hmm. And they see me and they're like, look, if this dude can do it like this, then I can do it the same way. I don't have to change my speech. I don't have to change my hair. I don't have to change how I dress outside of work, right? Like those type of things, I can still listen to my music, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, like, <laughs> like it was, it, um, I, I think I was at Flagler and I, I pulled up in the parking lot. I was playing Jeezy and like there was a teacher walking by and they were like, oh, <laughs> That's that's what you listen to, huh? And I was like, uh, yeah, I guess, right? Like, and again, all these processes that you yes. go through, right? And I don't want I don't want a kid to go through that. I, no. I want a kid to have like some time. And I'm not saying this as in a, as if I'm going to be you know the biggest thing on earth, but any little kid that can see me, like when the, when we bring the kids in and we talk to them about like jobs they can do and stuff like that. Yes. I love when they when they give that look like, wait a minute, uh, you don't look like the other 10 lawyers that we had at career day. Right? Hmm. Huh. This one's interesting. I love that look. Because you're opening the lid it. of possibility. Right. Absolutely. You're giving Absolutely. them other Absolutely. options that they probably wouldn't have ever considered. Nope. And yeah. No, and, I, and I completely, like, I didn't realize how important that would be that I, I realized how important it was because when I was making my maps and writing my list that I mean, you've seen thousands of my lists mm -hmm. <laughs> from, right? Oh, like when boy. I, when I was making, when I was mapping these things out, like I didn't have a model. 
mm-hmm. right? You know, like I, I did a timeline based off Obama's timeline. I did that because mm-hmm. that was the closest thing I had. But as far as like, this guy looks like me and I can go by this, that wasn't there. Um, and as I got older, I realized, well, why am I going to make it just as hard for the next kid? Mm-hmm. Like, I have to be out there. So anytime some, some uh, teacher asks me, hey, do you want to speak at our school? I have to say yes, right? I don't care if that's driving to West Palm Beach or if that's driving, you know, like I'm going to do it because I know there's going to be some kids in that room, especially if they say, hey, we're going to send you to the gifted room with that one black kid in there, <laughs> right? Because, and this is a side note, have you noticed that when it comes to gifted programs when, and when you're in high school and in middle school, they take maybe one black kid but they don't mm-hmm. examine the other black kids, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my dad has been on like a crusade to get more black kids to take his AP US history class just so there yeah. would be more and be like, mm-hmm. like, please, please take the class. Like you can do this. I don't care what anybody's told you before. You can do right. this. Because there's the never. Time. Right. You get the smartest white kids. You get the smartest black kid and you get mm-hmm. a couple average white kids. Mm-hmm. that then later become very above average because they have been given all that attention in and those they've been told, groups. you're gifted you're gifted yes. you're gifted over and it's amazing it. like amazing that when you tell a child over and over and over just how brilliant and gifted they are that they are right? but when it, you tell a child that they're worthless and that they are not going to imagine how few of them actually end up leaving leading a gifted life we'll say or right. not feeding into that message absolutely Huh. Absolutely. I tell people all the time, I said, look, man, it's not hard to be a parent, man. It's like, I don't want to be one, but it really ain't, it ain't rocket science. <laughs> it ain't rocket science. Just tell, tell them they can do it, man. If they say, hey, they want, they want to be a power ranger, tell them it's possible, man. Yeah. Till they, find, till they find something else they want to be. Like, it's not hard. <laughs> you just can't take away the possibilities that they can have. Right. You know what I mean? Like, don't eliminate what they can become. If they, I, I remember one time, this was terrible on my part. My cousin, Craig, drew a picture that was really awesome. And I erased part of it and, like, drew a line on it and then said, I drew it. Right? Then I took it home. Malcolm. <laughs> look, hey, man, look. <laughs> <laughs> Things happen, okay? Things happen. I'm not proud of my past. <laughs> so I took it home. And I showed my mom that I had drew this, right? Bruh, she sees it. She's so hyped. She comes back next day with like $40 worth of construction paper and markers and pens and like, like all this colorful stuff. I'm like, man, I'm she wanted to feed that in you. <laughs> right. And you were like, but it wasn't me. Anyway, I, look. <laughs> You think we can give some of this to Craig? Because Craig really drew it, right? <laughs> Craig <laughs> that, had that the construction always... paper and markers. And right, you know. That poor kid. Uh, it, it was always the case, right? Like, we didn't have a lot of money, but, like, if I, if, if I showed interest, mm-hmm. she would try her best to, you know, push that way. I was watching, we got, we, we finally got satellite. We finally got, uh, yeah, we had finally got satellite because we can't get cable because we're way out in the country. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the Discovery Channel one time. I just happened to turn to the Discovery Channel one time. You know what she went? She went and bought that, uh, the Encarta. Do you remember this? In- Encarta 98. 
Oh, <laughs> the CD-ROM. Yes. Yes, oh with all God, the interactions. I forgot about that. Yeah. She bought that right at, she was like, oh, you like watching Discovery Channel? And then she went and found that. Like, mm -hmm. it's, ju it's just, it's just a little thing. Just encourage them yeah. something. Right, just mm -hmm. feed it. It's real simple, but. So I want to also talk about, well, I don't want to talk, I want to hear you talk about, like you said earlier, like you being in your position in, in, in law, right? But mm -hmm. you've seen mm -hmm. the other side. You've mm -hmm. lived through that. You've seen that. What, how has that impacted your career? And not even just your career, your life. Right. So I, I tell people all the time that when it comes to uh, my job and, you know, how I go about it, um, every quote unquote defendant is not a defendant to me. Right. My my essential brother. Right. The one that would have been my best man. The only reason he's not my best man is because he's doing 25 years in prison. Right. Um, Courtney, I think you vaguely remember. Yeah. So, I, yeah. So when I, went I didn't know he law, was doing 25. Yeah. So. So about that. <laughs> about that. In 2011, when I was okay. going to law school. He went to prison for uh, a couple armed robberies. But anyway, uh, but yeah, so like the concept of, of you know, these crimes being committed mm -hmm. and them, there being a break between who they are and who I am, it's not a thing. So mm -hmm. like every case that I have, every defendant, it's not, it's not a defendant to me, it's somebody I'm trying to help. It, what, what, is the, what is the decision I can make that will help, right? And sometimes the answer is not that good, right? Like sometimes it does include prison. Sometimes it does include those things because, well, you don't have a choice at that point, right? Mm -hmm. But everything for me is, a, is about looking at it through the vessel of that's, that's my relative, that's my cousin, that's my brother. That's like, I don't, I don't, no matter what the crime is, I still see my, you know, my closest friends. Which is a huge, and I, I think maybe people may not understand what I say, that's a huge gift, right? Because so for, some. <laughs> for some, right? <laughs> right. Because the thing is, they probably would not have that if, if maybe their, their prosecutor or their, uh, no, not, you're not their prosecutor then, right? What's the term? Uh -huh. If their lawyer, there's, there we go, right. um, doesn't look like them or doesn't come from the same background as them. Uh -huh. It's very right. easy when somebody doesn't look like you or it hasn't, doesn't have like a familiarity to you to right. think, to just write them off and just say, well, they're a criminal. Right. And that's all well, it is. There's, there's nothing absolutely. more to it. There's this, no, yeah. Malcolm Gladwell has this amazing book called Talking with Strangers. Yeah, just, I, I listened to it like twice, yeah. Amazing. But it yes. breaks down so much, like how much familiarity makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And it's like, people don't realize, you make a lot of exceptions for people you grew up with and you love. And you might be like, well, yeah, they're on drugs, but they had a rough life. Well, why don't you think that about the other people on drugs? Why Absolutely. are you calling all of them jerks? Like, Absolutely. Or maybe sometimes it works the opposite where you can't stand the person in your family who's addicted to drugs. So you look at everybody with that's that what I mean. lack of... And that's what I meant by for some people. Right. Right, because... When I was younger, going back to those Flagler days, I think mentally I took, look, I made it here. That means everyone can make it here, 
right? Mm -hmm. So like everybody's just got to get up and do something, right? You got to get up and get off your butt and you got to do something. And then I started changing a little bit when I started realizing like the concept of how I got there should not have been so hard, mm -hmm. right? This world has made it, this country has made it at times very difficult for people that look like me to progress, to matriculate, to, you know, to do all these things, right? There was a time when I was in law school where I literally slept in my car for, like, during finals. Mm -hmm. Okay, like, through the entire finals of my 1-0 year, like, I was sleeping in my car, right? So Because you didn't have anywhere to go during, like, breaks? Well, no, 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 no. So I had ran out of money, and... Well, listen, this um, is a real thing. Like, yeah. just yeah, because yeah, no, you got infected into the amazing school does not mean that all of a sudden this money... A magically appears for you to actually live there while you're going through school right so that december month that that north carolina winter month oh. i was sleeping in the library or in my car right which can we talk about the fact that north carolina south carolina being from the carolinas is colder than people give it credit for man it's ooh, what like ooh. i hate when, when i went from there, the south you don't know the winter all right well try yeah. it mm -hmm. and if you in nah. a car there's a winter yes. there's a winter I, I try to tell people that all the time mm -hmm. that I was like, nah, man, North Carolina's colder than y'all think it is, man. Mm -hmm. and, and it was. <laughs> but yeah, like, the, the gaps in my life, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, 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 go like, ahead. Yeah, so like, the, the gaps in my life and, and, and the stuff I had to go through, it shouldn't be that hard, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, that Malcolm Gladwell talks about it all the time. Yes, a 1% can make it through. But in reality, it should have been a lot more. Mm -hmm. Like that other person gets 500 different chances to get there. Mm -hmm. I had, it, it was like um, Dr. Strange in, <laughs> in Infinity War. There was one uh, path for me to get here. You're looking as if you've never seen it. I, I have not. I oh have, my I God. Do not know this reference. <laughs> oh. Oh, Wow. Like I'm trying to like take in my brain anything I might have heard about Infinity. I know I've heard of it, but I, I know I have not seen it. Okay, so this this analogy is great for you. Oh, okay. okay. Okay, so you have the the Marvel series ended on two movies. Okay. Okay, Infinity War, uh, and oh man, blank. What's the last one called? Oh, like I would know. Uh, <laughs> come on, you know. <laughs> Endgame, like, endgame, endgame. Oh, I never would have. That sounds like a football movie. I would not oh, assume that's fair. a superhero okay. movie. So the, the biggest villain comes down. He wrecks shop in Infinity War for three and a half hours, right? It's very oh. depressing, right? Okay. Everyone dies, oh. okay? So at, <laughs> at the end of Infinity War, you have Doctor Strange, who is somewhat of a wizard of time. Okay, uh -huh. That's the best way I can describe this to you. Okay. okay. So... He gives up the one thing that this villain needs. He has it. He has to give it to the villain. Okay. And everybody's looking at him like, why would you do that? Right? Mm -hmm. He said, basically, he said, I have went into the future and I have looked at like a billion different scenarios. And of these billion different scenarios, only one ends with us winning this. Mm. Right? And that's kind of what it's like for a lot of people of color. There's a billion different scenarios of what can happen in the world, but there's very, very few that ends with success. 
right? And what happens, a lot of people like me that ends up in one of those lines of success, we look back and say, well, y'all could have done that. Mm. Y'all could have, y'all could have, you know, y'all could have done, it's a billion ways to get here. You could have done this when in reality, just very few. Meanwhile, people that may not look like me, who may be just as poor as me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and I think that's where the concept of people get mixed up with what, um, you know, white privileges and all these other things is like, there are people that come from the same area as me, just as poor as me, all those type of things. But if him and I go to Flagler together, he's going to be perceived differently. Mm -hmm. Right? Doesn't matter how poor he was. He worked his way up. I worked my way up. We get here and now we're treated differently here. Right. Right. So, and, and that's what I had to learn is that it's, it shouldn't be that hard. And so that's why I definitely wanted to do uh, more in politics because I feel like that's, that needs to change. Mm -hmm. the, the evening of the ability to ascend shouldn't be that hard for a particular group just because of how they look, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, I'm glad I was able to teach you a little bit about in-game and Affinity War there. Right. I didn't, I yeah. didn't expect that. Didn't expect I'm that telling you, it's a great two movies. You got, you got to watch them. <laughs> You gotta watch it. It's, 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 it's hurtful for me to watch right now because, you know, Chad Bozeman. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't watched any Marvel since. I actually didn't. Don't be mad. I didn't know he was in that. I know he was Black Panther because I saw that and loved it. Okay, can I say this? Because I made this joke and somebody definitely did not get the reference. And I was talking about, like, after I saw Black Panther, I wanted to run away around and say Wakanda forever, too. But I am also hyper aware of what I look like. And I was like, I can't say Wakanda forever. I can be like, Wakanda. Like, that's it. Because if I run around saying, I'd be like, what is Maria over here saying Wakanda forever? What do you know about Wakanda forever? I'm like, man. Hey, man, there were light-skinned people in Wakanda. You got to take, take a close look. There, there was a token white dude. <laughs> right? Who technically from Britain, but yeah. <laughs> like, I picked up on that. Right. You know, that was something like talking, like when you were talking about the bubble at Flagler or actually, yeah. no, excuse me, the bubble growing up. Cause I definitely grew up in a bubble in Aiken where it's funny when I tell people like, Oh, I grew up in South Carolina and they're like, Oh my God, you must've seen so much racism. And I'm like, well, no, actually I didn't because same as you, the people knew me had known me always. And uh -huh. it was just, <laughs> I was Rosanna. Nobody like, I mean, yes, I heard the N-word once, but it was a very confusing experience because it was said in a very positive way. And it was a friend of mine's grandmother who was referring to a black woman she worked with. And she was talking about, but she liked her. She was like, oh my God, that, that funny lip. And I was like, Arr! and my friend's like freaking out, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I was so confused because I'm like, well, I have heard this word on movies, but I've never heard it said in an affectionate way by a white person. And my dad picked me up and he was like, how was it? And I was like, well, it was good, but I didn't know, I don't know if I was supposed to be offended. And I explained the situation. He's like, well, that's because the way she's raised, like that's what you call black people. It, it just is. She doesn't mm -hmm. even necessarily mean it offensively. That's just what a black person is. You're right. And that, I, that is still one of my best friends to this day. And mm -hmm. I will say her grandmother never said that word again around me. <laughs> Cause I think there was a conversation after I left, but right. that was the extent of it. Like I never really, the worst I had to deal with was white people, white kids and black kids asking me questions about the other side. Like yeah. if you're like, if you're mixed, if your mom's black, why do you have white people hair? Well, I don't know. Cause my mom's <laughs> making me perm my hair. So I don't know if I have white people hair. 
I really and, do think that's a different conversation is when you talk about like people of color coming from really small towns. Mm -hmm. um, it's a re-education. Uh, when you get outside of that bubble and you find out, oh, wait, <laughs> racism is a real, real thing, right? Northeast Florida was terrible. Like, it was an eye-opener for me. I mean, Flagler's oh, yeah. started to be, started to kind mm -hmm. of, and it was the first time, like, I was told, I was with a friend and her boyfriend who were black, and they were like, oh, well, we have, like, two black people and I was like half and they're like no you don't count because you don't look black and I was like well dang man can't get no love but then and, and then hearing it like when I when I started working when my professional career is when I really started to see it uh -huh. and I would I was thinking I'm like I didn't know this still happened and I one of the things that is like seared in my mind is when Trayvon Martin was shot uh -huh. and I was sitting in a group one of my clients or actually at that point they weren't a client I was trying to get them to come on as a client and the news is on and this older gentleman who just happened to be white um starts with the worst thing possible and he was like i'm not racist but and i had at least heard that enough by this point to know well something incredibly racist is about to be said yeah. like i do know this part and he was like i'm not racist but and talking about trayvon saying he would have ended up in prison anyway so we probably just, that guy probably just saved us one more criminal. And I was like, so you don't think there's anything wrong with dismissing a child because of the color of his skin? Like, oh, because he had a hoodie on and is black, we should just assume he was going to be a criminal anyway. But you know what? You don't, you don't realize that's going to be happening right in your life. You don't realize that. You, you don't realize <laughs> that you taking all those IB classes growing up, <laughs> right? <Good> memory. <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, very good. <laughs> you know, growing up and everything, and then coming out of that, and that you may be just labeled, just like if you took nothing. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, it, it's a different world. I came in with, I don't know, with with a certain perceived notion of how people would look at me. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I came from a place. I mean. Everybody knows I really love my high school, right? Like, mm -hmm. really love my high school, right? Um, it's, it's still the background on my phone, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I came from a place where they saw me as being good, mm -hmm. right? Good at a lot of things. Um, and then leaving that to have to almost reprove yourself in every aspect um, and, and break stereotypes of, well, you know, this is, this is just a black guy. He'll probably be here for a semester and he'll probably drop out, you know, do drugs, whatever. Who cares? Right. Mm -hmm. um, I remember being kicked out of class the first two weeks at Flagler because I didn't have my money for my books. Right. And yeah, I was sitting in the back and the lady didn't really like me that much either way. <laughs> like she recommended me for a remedial class after the first two days and we hadn't did anything. Well, I was like, come on. Right. So wait, anyway, so because you didn't have money for your books. I, I didn't come with the book because I didn't have it. I had told her that I told her that two days before that. Mm -hmm. And she was like, Oh, you don't have the book? I was like, Yeah. She was like, Well, leave the class. I was like, Okay. Where does this money magically come from to pay for these books? Right. 
And you know, at the time, I had no idea about, oh, you're going to get a refund in like three weeks. And then you may be able to get your books with that, right? Um, I didn't know nothing about that. I was like, oh, I just ain't got the bread for the books right now. And, you know, so. and she was like, well, just get out. I was like, oh, that's what we, that's what we do. Okay. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, you come from that and you keep getting hit with stuff like that. And you keep getting hit with certain teachers that just don't like your appearance. No, no matter what you get voted in as, no matter what mm -hmm. you're doing. Right. Um, and you start realizing it's like, man, this is different. You have to always reprove yourself when you go to a different area. Right. Um, and I think I think that helped create the mentality that I'm always on edge about stuff like that right mm -hmm. i'm always like oh okay i can't do what <laughs> right um and and it's because i i started realizing like everywhere i go there's going to be a preconceived notion mm -hmm. um and at first much of my way to handle that was to kind of back away from what i knew they didn't like mm -hmm. um and then i think later in life it started being the thing where I, I leaned into it. Yes. You know, and I think a lot of people got to do that. You got to, you got to be unapologetically you, whatever that may be. Um, it's I, interesting to me, like how now this is my third conversation, but the one with my pastor, same thing, like being a woman in ministry and being told like, she's too dominant and mm -hmm. she has to make herself smaller so that her husband, who's also a pastor could, his voice could be the one that people heard and would be, right. that was the voice that people like were okay hearing. Right. Mm -hmm. And she said the same, like, you just got to embrace who you were meant to be. Yep. And we, we go through all this time of like, well, how do I basically, how do I dumb myself down? So other people feel more comfortable. Yep. And then you just get to a point where you're like, uh, uh. well, yeah, you, you have two choices, either fit around people or make them fit around you. Oh. Right. So, at some point, I realized, I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to be in this room. I'm going to be in this area. Y'all got to fit around it. And you had to figure, you were, obviously, you were meant to take up space. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been born. Oh, no. Exactly. Exactly. Like, there's, there's enough space for everybody. Mm -hmm. Don't try to move around, you know. <clears throat> you got to, hey, make yours there. But a lot of times, I, th I think it happens a lot where, you know, just like the poem says, when you try to dim your light, you try to, sque you try to squeeze in, right? Look, like, mm -hmm. can I have, do you mind if I sit right here? Do you mind if I get in this crevice? Instead of saying, hey, I'm, I'm here, so how are we going to make this work, mm -hmm. right? We, we, can both, we can both eat, but uh, make sure I'm going to eat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I, I started looking at it later. But at first, um, I think that, you know, how they say, uh, Mike Tyson says everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. Right. I got hit in the mouth first. And I was like, oh, wait, this ain't how it's going to work. Mm -hmm. You know, were there, I mean, particular situations or people that like, I know you, you, you said Barack, but like what gave you, because I know your personal story. I know people listening may not, but like you didn't necessarily have a parent that you could go to right. or a mentor in the family right. that you could go to for that. Where do you right. find this? Where does Malcolm get the audacity to think this, feel this, grow this way? So, so I think at first, I think I tell people all the time, the first 12 years of my life, I was just, you know, living life. I was a kid. I was, you know what I mean? Like you just mm -hmm. do kid things. <clears throat> um, my, I had aspirations, but 
I wasn't really thinking about them, right? Like, it's just day after day. Let's play with remote control cars. Let's do this. Let's do, That's the you being a kid. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and I think I, the best and worst thing that happened to me at the same time, um, my mom died when I was 12, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's when I, I like to tell people all the time that I have conversations with myself a lot, right? Mm -hmm. um, why did I do this? Why do I respond this way? How can I respond? You know what I mean? Like I examine every, every action I do, I examine it of why I did it that way, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think around 12 is when I started having that voice because I felt like um, my voice was the only one I could really listen to at that point because before that, the only voice I listened to was my mom's, mm -hmm. right? That was the ultimate voice. My dad wasn't around. So my mom's voice was the ultimate voice, right? Mm -hmm. um, and once, once you lose that so young, uh, it's really hard to just start attaching to other people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I know I, I read a lot of self-help books and stuff like that that say you need at least one mentor in your life, stuff like that. And it's very hard for me to like attach to a mentor. And I know that is what I should do. Um, it's really hard for me to do that because I've always been self-reliant, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so and my sister- You didn't sister, have a choice in a lot of Well, ways. yeah, yeah. You know, my sister, she's 11 years older, right? Um, but at the same time, when my mom died, she was, I was 12, she was 22, mm -hmm. right? And again, she had the same thing where she really only still listened to my mom. We were still living there. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and she's built differently than me. She's very she's an emotional person. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and so I felt even at 12, OK, uh, my mom had always instilled that, you know, we stick together. Right. And so then I felt like I had to be the adult a little bit. Like I felt like I had to protect her, even though she was the older person. Mm -hmm. Right. So that meant also um, in the path that I would take in life, like I, this had to be a direct path. I had to get out of the house. I had to go do this. I had to go do that. I have to change not only, you know, our situation, but I got to change the, the world that we live in, right? Um, and so I wanted to do that because especially a lot of people didn't feel like she would be the best person for me to even be with, right? Really? She, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> my sister isn't, it, my sister is the exact opposite of me in, in lots of ways, right? Or what's. Um, and so some people are like, well, you know, maybe he should stay with his grandmother or maybe, you know, stuff like that, whatever. Um, but as far as a nuclear family, it was just me and her. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to prove to people, yes, me and her staying together, like this thing right here is what got me to this place and this place and this place. Right. Like it was, it was almost like a, a badge of honor. Like, oh, I graduated high school. Yep. Mm hmm with only this one with me, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I knew I had to protect her emotionally, um, stuff like that, right? Because she, she was, she is a different person <laughs> than I was, right? Um, and so that's what created most of my focus at that time is because I knew, I knew I could do something good, mm -hmm. right? But I didn't have a lot of wiggle room, right? There were, I mean, we didn't have lights at the house. We would have to put water in a bucket and carry it from outside, inside to flush the toilet sometimes, right? We had to wait until, you know, the church gave out food sometimes to get food because we didn't really have a lot, right? Um, those type of things would happen. Those type of things we would go through. And that, look, when you're hungry, 
you start realizing that, hey, like this whole kitty thing, right? Like this whole like not taking the school part seriously or not trying to get the college serious. Like, no, nah, like you don't have a window for that. You don't have a leisure time for that, right? You have to get these things done. Well, so, okay, I, I, that actually leads into a question that I knew I wanted to ask. And now I definitely do. That was a choice because it could have also gone the other way where you would say, listen, I just need to eat. I'm going to do whatever I need to, to do that. And in a lot of situations, that's how people end up getting into selling drugs. They get into Mm -hmm. making the money as easily or as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. because they're just trying to eat. And and I never say, I I always tell people, I was like, the line between me being there and me being here is so thin. Right. So then it, it, it comes down to like it, on a Saturday being propositioned with it. And on Sunday, the church decides to hand out food. Oh, right. You, you know what I it mean? was almost like it was a test. Right. Like, are you going to take this or are you going to believe that? What, what I mean, it's food. Oh. If it had been on, if it wasn't until Monday, well, I would have made the decision on Sunday, you know, mm-hmm. but on Sunday, you know, that type of thing happened. Um, I think my sister took a lot of that blunt also that brunt also uh, when it comes to decisions like that. Right. Um, and, and like, so that kept me on a certain path. And I, and I think her dying this summer was another uh, kind of catalyst mm-hmm. to, to like reinvigorate me because, you know, now I'm not only doing it for my mom, I'm doing it for her, you know, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it was definitely a, because I think she died uh, July, I think, 17th or so, or 15th. And so for two weeks afterwards, like when I came back from the funeral and everything, I was so low, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I tell people the joke, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make another movie analogy. I may or may not get it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Creed 2? I haven't seen Creed one. Man! <laughs> well, I guess I have some homework after this. Sad. So, I'll give you a synopsis of why this is important. Okay. In Creed two, in Creed two, he technically loses the fight at the beginning. Technically. Okay. Uh, but the guy is DQ'd. Mm-hmm. Um. But after a fight, he's really beat up. He's peeing blood. He's broken, right? Like his body's hurt, his body's destroyed. And he feels like a loser, right? Even though he has the belt, he has his wife, he has his kid, he has his family. um, He has every single thing that he had minutes before that fight. But now minutes after the fight, he does not feel like the same person. Mm. And like losing my sister, that's kind of how I felt, right? I felt like, if people looked at it, you got, you got your degrees, you got the same job, you got your life, you got this, you got that. You, you have everything, but I did not feel the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a couple of weeks before I realized that it's the same process that I had when I was 12, right? About refocusing and recentering that energy. Um, not only for me, but now it's somewhat of a, a legacy that mentally that I'm working on, you know, for them. And, uh, and so it's, it's that concept. That's what really keeps me going even now, 
right? Mm-hmm. Is that is that process that I'm not just doing it for me. Like I'm doing it for my mama, sister, and everyone that comes from situations like them, right? Um, and so like when I get up in the morning, I'm like, ah, I don't want to go work out. I don't want to, you know, do this. And it's like, this isn't, it doesn't matter what I want. It's not about me, right? And so like, I, I am not running on my own fuel. It's, it's everything that I'm doing for other people type thing. What would you say to the kid that I pray listens to this? Mm-hmm. I pray somebody listens to this and then shares it and they know of a kid maybe in high school or college and they're like, oh, he needs to hear this. <laughs> what do you want to say to that kid? It's real simple, man. You got to keep pushing. Right? Uh, I think people try to make this uh, way more complicated than it is, right? Um, and I keep playing around with writing a book and I keep playing around with the idea of just, uh, of naming it one foot in front of the other, right? Mm. And, it, and it's the same concept that um, I was listening to this podcast and it was like a marathoner and he was like, well, are you tired at 15 miles? He was like, yeah, I'm tired at 15 miles. I was like, then how do you possibly go another 11, right? And he, he said the word, like, one foot in front of the other, man. One foot in front of the other. If you know what you want, mm-hmm. you just got to keep pushing in that direction, right? Whatever, the, whatever that day is, you wake up that day and you ain't really got a whole lot to do, but you know you want to be X, Y, Z, right? Read an article on it. Even if it's just one yes. thing, you got you got to put one foot in front of the other every single day, whatever that may be. You may be having a relaxing day, but find time to put one foot in front of the other. You're better than you were the day before, right? And, and that just, you got to be on that mindset. Now, what do you say to the kid who feels like he can't because of what other people assume he is or the things that he's going to encounter because of the way he looks? Like if he looks like you. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And so, I mean, that's why it's so simple because I didn't say put one foot in front of the other if everyone believes in you. Oh, I didn't say put one foot in front of the other if you have people backing you, right? Mm-hmm. None of that matters, right? I don't care if it's, you know, there could be a, a hot trail of coal and you, ba- you barefoot one foot in front of the other. That's, that's literally all that you can do, right? And when you look back, man, I'm so far away from my goal, but I'm 10 feet ahead of where I was the day before, right? And, and literally, because I, as far as people believing in you, you don't get a lot of those, you know. I was telling somebody, because somebody asked me, I was like, oh, you're doing a podcast. And I was like, yeah. And I had to explain who you were, right? <laughs> and I was like, I'll make it really simple. I said, from, I'd say, 06 to 2010, I probably have three people that were encouraging in my life. And I said, she's one of those three people, right? Like, you're going to run, if you keep putting one foot in front of your other, in front of the other, you're gonna you're gonna run into some people that are like, "Hey, I, I like that guy's style, right?" And mm-hmm. he doesn't look like anything like I've seen before, but I like that guy's style, right? Mm-hmm. And somebody that's just willing to to reach out. Um, I think uh, Judge Poland and and Miss Moser at Flagler, there there were two people that were always like, "Hey, you know," randomly, uh, Wes Welker or not Wes Welker, what's his name? Welker, I can't think of his first name, but he was an econ teacher, random econ teacher. Is it West? I didn't want to say because that's that's a football player. Oh well, I wouldn't know that. So that's how we know it probably <laughs> was West Walker because I would not get that confused. Uh, 
right? And so, um, you know, like little teachers like that, little droplets that happen in your life, you got to listen to what people say, mm-hmm. right? Because yes, there's going to be a lot of criticism. Who cares about that? Listen, listen to when somebody's telling you something positive, right? Yes. Like the econ teacher. Was I really caring that much in that econ freshman class, those two classes I had with him? Not a whole lot, right? (laughs) (laughs) But he would always, like, randomly, he just talked to me, like, afterwards. He was like, man, I just feel like you're going to be great. He was like, yeah, I know, freshman econ. He says, but when I call on you, he was like, even between the bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Even between your bullshit, he says, there's there's a level of charisma there. There's a level of something that I can't put my finger on. And it was like, it was just random. He was a random guy. But, you know, him saying that stuck with me, that he just he just felt, you know what, that's you're going you're gonna to work out. He goes, like, I don't know what, but you're going to work out. I was like, oh, okay, I guess, you know. I mean, you don't put much stock in it from people that you don't know. But when you hear that, sometimes you got to take what you get, right? You're it, you're, you know, you're like the, the famine, uh, <laughs> you're like the, the hungry homeless guy, right? And when, when stuff comes by, when that good stuff comes by, you got to keep it because you ain't going to get a whole lot of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but and yeah, you have to live that. off of that for as long as oh, yeah. you can. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely do. I'll never forget that. He was like, yeah, even between your bullshit sometimes, you know. I respect really that because you did have a lot of bullshit. <laughs> and you, I used to always, mm-hmm. all right, Malcolm. <laughs> And you're just arguing with me to argue with me. I'm not going to engage in this conversation. <laughs> but yes, you are very talented. Yes, you are the greatest. But I'm not. We're done. No more. Today. <laughs> no more. Hey, man, I, I have to fill my time. You know, I have to fill the time. <laughs> my mom even, she does not like many people, but she, for the longest, was still, and sometimes she still went randomly. How's Malcolm? How's he doing? <laughs> and she was so happy when I told her you got into Wake Forest Law School. Like I didn't oh, know, like just the, the tone of her voice. Like one, it was this, this tone of like, I knew this would happen, but there was just so much pride. <laughs> and like, okay, good. <laughs> right. <laughs> good. And that doesn't, and you know, I love when you even talk about staying in the car because I think it's so easy. Oh, did I lose? Oh, there you are. For yes. people to say like, okay, well, once you, once you achieve this and everything's going to be easy. No, you still had so much. You oh had my God. Yes. And that's, you know, that was part of my issue, right? Like I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, well, I, when I got into, especially when I got into Wake, right? The mm-hmm. first minute I got in, I opened it up and I'm like, oh yeah, we made it, right? Yeah. In the first second, first minute. And then... Three, three sentences down, it says, now all you need to do is send a $500 deposit. Hmm. We ain't made it yet. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, well, we kind of sort of got there. Yeah, we, we, we on the cusp. We about right. there. Right there. We about there, right? And, and that's what it hit me. I was like, nah, man, this, there's, there's more steps to this. We're going to be hungry. Like, and I, that's one thing I would tell every kid. Like, it's never, that, that push, that struggle is never over, right? There's always that new hurdle and then the next hurdle, right? Because, um, like, even now, it's funny because, like, the last four weeks, like, even before that, um, like, all these good things are happening. And I'm still like, but uh, where's the bad? 
right? Like mm-hmm. something else is coming. It, but now I'm, I'm so conditioned to be prepared for it. Like the adversity is going to come. It's not a shock anymore. Um, it's just ability to be prepared and still put one foot in front of the other at that point. Yeah. You have to write that book. <laughs> and when you do, when you do, not if, when, you're going to come back on this podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Malcolm, your story. And I mean, we touched on bits and pieces of it, but mm-hmm. and I know like there's so much more, but right. your story needs to be told because it is going to be the hope that somebody clings to. And I know that sounds like maybe cheesy, but it is absolutely true because I clung to Oprah. I, cl- I clung to her story. No, I did. And people no, always yeah. think it's because it's, oh, of course it's Oprah's. No, no, no. It's because of what she came from. Right. That's what I clung to. And it was yeah. like, she doesn't look like what I've been told is beautiful. Mm-hmm. She is successful. And when I look at the story of her life, she has had every reason not to be. Mm-hmm. And yet she persisted. I, I got something to believe in. She was a oh, touch yeah. point for me. And your right. book, your story is going to be a touch point for somebody else. I hope so, man. I hope so. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you know of someone who could benefit from listening to Malcolm's story that might be inspired by it, please share the episode. Uh, make sure to write a review. And if you know of somebody that I should interview that you think would be great for other people to hear from, definitely email me at rosannagillpr at gmail.com. My email is also in the show notes for the podcast. And also don't forget to go check out our Instagram account, The Breaking Labels Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you come back next week.